Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Roughed Up Podcast, also episode 5 of the Pandemic Podcast Edition. Um, <laughs> I'm joined today uh, on a, eh, it's not bad, not a bad looking Sunday here in, in California um, by Jason Collette and Matt Armstrong. What's going on, guys? Howdy. How you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. We've been complaining a lot about the pandemic on this podcast, but uh, yeah, how are things? How are things your way? I know you've got some weather headed your way. What's going on? Yeah, we got some nasty weather coming. I live over in Charlotte, so we got some nasty weather on its way here uh, later today and tonight. Uh, so crossing fingers, power is there because now that we're all home workers, uh, you know, kind of need that to work tomorrow. Uh, and without it, especially with the kids home, this is actually my kids' spring break. It started started oh. Friday, and so with them home and no power, uh, it may be the breaking point of the Colette of the Colette household. Just saying. <laughs> and and how old are kids? Uh, ninth grader and a sixth grader, so okay, like a fourteen okay. and a twelve year old. And how are they dealing with this? Uh, pretty well. I mean, they've had uh, you know obviously a lot of uh, different remote learning. Uh, you know, given that their father has access to remote learning materials by uh, by uh, avenue of my day job, makes it a little easier. Um, you know, I've been a remote worker since thirteen, so I mean, this is second nature to me. It's just now I have office mates during the day. That's the difference, and that's taken some getting used to it scheduling time to stop go down make sure they're doing their thing then come back upstairs and, and resume my thing so it's not like i'm working from home it's like i'm trying to survive at home and make sure everything else is going on in the house too mm, yeah are they doing uh i guess are their teachers doing classes and is everything kind of running through online means or is it reduced or what's kind of been the it's, it's a little bit of both. It's produced, uh, you know, they're like, he has uh, both of my kids, uh, my son plays cello and my daughter plays uh, uh, clarinet. And so they can videotape themselves doing rehearsals, send it to the, to upload it into Canvas, teachers review and different things. So it's a reduced schedule, but everybody is doing something, which is nice to see. Uh, but it is, you know, it really highlighted the digital divide in school districts because a lot of people say, oh, hey, yeah, we bought this stuff. People are using it. Well, they weren't using it. Now they have to use it. And just, I see the queue coming in from tech support. So much of it is, I need my password. I need my username. How do I do this? How do I, a lot of things that you would think people had, uh, had the skills, no. Uh, and so it's really forced that change. And I, I used it, you know, when we did Tout Wars auction back last month, we did it online. I've been doing auctions almost my entire fantasy baseball career. And that goes back to the early nineties and doing an online auction. I felt out of my element. And I would say the same thing for teachers. You know, if you teach 20 years and all of a sudden you're told you're a virtual teacher now, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. And I think teachers are now just starting to get their groove uh, and get it and hit their stride with it. And things are getting better, but it did take a little bit of startup time uh, to get things going. And now that's what 15, 16 States have decided we're done for the year, getting close to 20. Uh, well, 19 States plus New York city schools have shut it down for the year. So uh, we'll see where they go from here. Man, yeah, it's uh, being in tech, we work on Zoom all the time normally, mm -hmm. so it sort of comes a second nature. But then, yeah, thinking about some of these other jobs where this hasn't been a part of their day-to-day -day forever and, uh, and now having to wrap that in, it's been, it's been amazing to see, I think, uh, on the positive side of, you know, some, there's been lots of bad stuff going on, obviously, but on the positive side, how many people have been willing to apply that flexibility in their day-to-days to just try to keep things going? 
Agree. I think the uh, the virtual happy hours have been a nice kind of rehearsal for people to get things going. You know, get in their comfort zone, drink on screen with friends. Like, okay, I guess I can teach on screen. If I can drink on screen, I can I can teach. Uh, so you know, those seem to be uh, going well. I know my wife's done a few of those with even you know neighbors down. Uh, you know, our kids are involved in dance, and you know, we miss our dance our dance friends, and so we've done some of those uh, as well. And in that circle, we have a few teachers, uh, and they said this is really good practice for me to get used to Zoom and or. Google Google Hangouts or different things like that that people are using. Yeah, I've definitely liked how somehow this has, now that there's sort of the convenience factor of seeing friends and family is sort of just leveled the playing field. It's like, whether I'm seeing somebody in Boston or seeing someone in San Francisco, it, it's actually mm -hmm. no difference to me now. And so it sort of brings some people back into your life or, or it lets you sort of reevaluate how much time you want to be spending with different people. Um, when there's only one way to, to correspond with them. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, I have to ask you, we, we are going to get into some baseball chat because I was, uh, I, I love the idea of uh, rethinking MLB, um, particularly with uh, the current situation, but just in general, um, yep. because I'm a complainer and uh, Matt and I love <laughs> to just uh, complain about things. But uh, I want to first ask you about, uh, and this isn't going to show up for anyone listening, but it is for us, um, about your, your office there. Um, where you're recording from, I see lots of memorabilia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what do you what do you what do you have behind you? What do you have on the, uh, next to you? What's what, what's in there? So a few different things. I have a lot of old those metal baseball signs. So the Ted Williams one, one I was doing an online auction the other day. A guy in my league has the original one autographed by Ted Williams. It's the Moxie root beer one. Uh, and so I've got a few of those metal signs. I picked them up on a drive to the North Carolina mountains at one of the, I think it was mass general store. And I was going through and like, Oh man, look at these. And I bought a bunch of them. Uh, Nolan Ryan's my all time favorite player. So I got a picture of him holding the four baseballs of the four no hitters. My son's middle name is Ryan. Uh, after that, and I've got a few more to hang up. I've got some raised stuff behind me. Then on the back wall where the football stuff is, that was my dad, uh, dad stuff. My dad passed away in 16 and he had all this Washington Redskins stuff hanging up in the corner. And so, that's that's dad's shrine up there uh i'm more of a disenfranchised washington fan change the owner change the team's mascot and i'm back in uh so that's that but that stays up there for dad uh and then i've got some ucf stuff all around everywhere so yeah this is my cave excellent nice very uh very nice to have uh comforts around when you're uh spending more and more time at home these days <laughs> indeed Cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, we had originally thought of uh, having you on um, based on this conversation around changing baseball, which is one of our favorite topics, as we talked about. And uh, I'd say between the three of us, we've seen no question thousands of games in our lives. We've been to, uh, I think, combined. I, uh, it sounds like every stadium except the new Texas one. Yeah, because none of us have had the chance to do that. So it's, you know, it's yeah. only, uh, that's it. But yeah, I, I, myself, I have 27 of the current 30. Okay. And I think we're the same, right, Army? 20, 26 or 27. Yeah, um, I think we have a couple mixed up, but yeah. Yeah. So you have Kansas City and Cleveland left, you said, Jason? That's right. Okay, nice. And then you're going to maybe potentially get there, hopefully, hopefully this summer, mm -hmm. um, depending on how all this shakes out. And then we're waiting on Detroit, White Sox, uh, Toronto. And then maybe you have one on top. Oh, and Washington. And then I think you have one more than that, Army. Um, maybe Milwaukee or the Cubs. I don't know. It's definitely Milwaukee. Okay, okay. So four, four for me, five for you, three for you. All right, well, we're hopefully going to get there close, even if there's a little delay this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, have, what's, have, you, uh, have you been to any parks internationally? 
Uh, I have not gone to anything outside of, uh, no, I haven't done anything internationally. I mean, I went to Montreal one year and what, you know, I'm wearing an Expos hat right now, uh, but they were, the Expos were on the road <laughs> the, the year I went to Montreal. It was, it was, uh, we didn't plan the Montreal part of the vacation. We were just all over New England and we we're like, Hey, let's go to Canada. You know, uh, this was back in the day. We didn't need a passport to do that. We just went to Canada and, uh, but the Expos were on the road. So, uh, but I have done Rogers center, uh, which was really cool. Okay. Uh, back in 2007, I saw, oh, who did I see? Was it Jay Wong So pitch for the Devil Rays? And the Devil Rays won 2-1 to one on Mother's Day. Carlos Pena hit a triple uh, in the ninth to put the Rays up. And so <laughs> what I remember, what, what I vividly remember about that game, though, uh, is it was Mother's Day. And I went to the game in, it was that, that old Devil Rays sleeveless jersey. And I had like a green yeah. long sleeve shirt on underneath it. Well, it was the first day they opened the dome the season. So it was like May 11th, right? And my seat was in the, the about the same area where Joe Carter's home run landed. Uh, and they opened the roof, and that was in the shade, and I froze my ass off. I was so cold. So I had to move up to the sun to stay warm because uh, at the time I was living in Florida, and you know, I was not used to that temperature. But it, I just remember it being so cold, and so I found some sun and sat in some sun, and then I was like the only guy wearing anything non-Toronto-based. Uh, and so like I stuck out like a sore thumb, but yeah, that was fun. And then the next night I went, uh, with a work event and we had one of the suites and I saw, Oh God, who was the former bat boy? Uh, he was a devil Rays bat boy pitched for Toronto, but they, he pitched against the Orioles and he took a complete game shutout into the ninth inning and they pulled him. Um, I can't, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, pitched with Baltimore a little bit, uh, eventually, um, I'm drawing a complete blank on his name, but I saw that guy's major league debut. Hmm. Maybe it'll come to us as we go through this. Bat boy on the Rays pitched against pitched for the Orioles as well. Pitched. I want. Yeah, he bounced around. Uh, he bounced around a little bit. Uh, it's, I'm drawing a complete blank now. I got to look it up because it's driving me nuts. But I remember seeing it. It was like because we were there. It was one of those like the thing that you and I did in Fenway uh, last year, right? It's like everybody's kind of like half paying attention yeah, to the game, yeah. right? Uh, and people are like, why are the fans booing? The Jays are winning this. I'm like, well, that guy is his major league debut, and he's got a complete game shutout, and they're not going to let him finish this game. And that's why they're booing. And they were like, oh, Jesse Litch. That's who it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw Jesse Litch's major years. league debut. <laughs> so that's who it was. <laughs> and uh, so, like, half the – there may be five people in that room paying attention uh, in that suite. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so I went to back-to-back nights. But it's a nice place uh, for a game. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely streamed Jesse Lich a number of times back in the day. <laughs> nice. Well, cool. Um, I'm glad we have the internet to be able to answer those questions and not just have them linger in our heads. That would have, it would have drove me. Now. I would have been thinking about that for a few hours. So you know, thank you, baseball reference. That did it. Um, cool. Well, you had a couple of proposals about updating baseball um, from back in 2017, and that came back up, and I think that's just kind of how – uh, sports content, at least for, for the traditional sports right now, uh, has kind of gone, right? Is there's no games <laughs> and there's no, there's uh, I guess they're doing drafts, but who knows how, uh, how those are going to progress. Um, but uh, yeah, why not? Why not re rethink the way, uh, you know, hundred plus year old sport has been done in, in an era where uh, things are changing by the second, uh, you know, every day we've got some kind of change to our society um and so why not let's think about um how to change sports so you got a few things on here i know we've got plenty of ideas as well um but let's start with a couple of these and just and just talk them through because some of these seem pretty easy to me but we're still waiting on them and the first one you had was the universal dh 
Um, I mean, I don't know if you need, you don't need to convince us, but, but let's state the case and we can kind of dig into some of the, the pros and the cons, or at least uh, <clears throat> we can stand up a, a couple of the arguments. Yeah, so, I mean, and this is coming from a guy who grew up in National League. So I grew up in Houston. The Astros, uh, my first Major League Baseball game was an Astros-Dodgers game. Uh, and so I grew up as a National League fan, and I didn't even know about the DH hitting until I saw the World Series one year. It's like, hey, wow, pitchers don't have to hit. These guys are atrocious. Um, and so I have long been a fan of the DH I would say, you know, basically starting in 87 when I decided, okay, I guess I should start following this American League Baseball stuff. And I happened to choose the uh, – I chose the Twins early that season. They won the World Series. Yay. Why did I choose the Twins? Because I moved to Orlando that spring, and they had spring trading in Orlando. So I started following the Twins. Uh, and So Don Baylor was a DH of that particular club, or Gene Larkin, one of the two, uh, depending on the matchup. And that's where I started, you know, getting into the DH. And so – I, it just drives me nuts. I, if I'm watching a National League baseball game, when the pitcher comes up, that's my go get a refill, go to the bathroom. I'm not going to miss anything. Uh, you know, we were looking at the other day, I was talking to uh, Clay Link and Todd Zola on the Rotowire podcast about pitchers hitting. You know, Nat, uh, American League pitchers hit like a buck 18 last year. National League was a buck 49. I mean, that, and that's, that's kind of where we're at. It's, there's so much downside to it, and there's no upside strategy, strategy. I mean, you can do strategy. Watch an AL game. Guys move around. You know, if a, if Kevin Cash can have Sergio Romo play third base, have Jose Alvarado play <laughs> first base, have Sergio Romo play left field, there is strategy in the American League without needing pitchers to hit. I don't like the unfair, the, the difference of rules. Even during the World Series, you hit, you don't hit. It should just be the same, and maybe this is the year that we get it if we do get baseball this year. Make the universal DH for this year and see what fans think. Yeah. Um, creates another job. Uh, it's, it's long overdue. I mean, the DH has been around since 73, 46 years. We've had this difference for 46 years, and it doesn't need to stay different. Yeah. Uh, you talked about the strategy one, and that, that is always the one that comes up, right? Is, and it, I, to me, has always been the easiest one to dispel because when you think really think deeply about it, you know, at surface level, it's like, Oh, the DH, I don't have to make a change as a manager, right? I'm just making a decision. It's, you know, this guy's coming up every time through the order. He's probably one of my best hitters, no problem. But if you really think one level deeper, it actually is less strategic to not have the DH because in the National League, what, what, what ends up happening is you make your pitcher changes based on when the pitcher is coming up. And right. so you don't actually have to do that strategic thinking of how is this guy performing right now in the moment? What does he have left to face the batter that's coming up, the next guy that's coming up after him and the next guy after him? You don't have to do that sort of thinking uh, in the moment. You just sort of, oh, well, the management is kind of done for me because his spot is coming up. Let's get him out of there and, and let's, get our, let's get our platoon advantage um, with, against whatever hitter is coming up. So the strategic one has never held much weight for me. Um, thematically, I think, and as I looked at some of your other recommendations here and think through some of the ones that we have, the, the, the changes that I always want to make are to raise, number one, raise the quality of the product on the field, right? And so mm -hmm. you kind of talked about it there, averages 118, 148, or 149 um, in the two leagues for the pitchers that are hitting. Um, th that's, a, that's a low quality competitive product. Is If you're putting up something that is so one-sided where 11 to 14% of the time, you'll actually get a positive outcome for one of the two combatants. I'm using that word loosely here. Um, <laughs> that's not a very competitive product. That's not something, like you said, that's, that's when you get up, you walk away from the TV. It's just nothing is really going to happen of interest here. If anything, it's, it's probably the lowest quality competition you will see on the field that day. Um, there's nothing with quite that level of discrepancy, and, and it's, it's not enjoyable as a fan to me. 
Well, I mean, I hate interleague play as well. And it puts, as I mentioned, I, I, I actually oversold American League pitching hitting. American League pitchers last year hit .087. They had, <laughs> they had one home run. One. That was, and then How many the bats is that? Over, uh, it is over 323 plate appearances. So then you flip to the National League, and the National League hit 131 and had 23 home runs. So we had 24 home runs last year in pitch for pitchers hitting. 23 of them came in the NL. It's just an it's an unfair. I, I don't like interleague play. And then when you put interleague play in an NL ballpark, it's an unfair advantage to the NL the NL team because their pitchers are used to hitting. But it's you know in a in this day and age where we also we so often talk about pitchers struggling with their command and everything. What other position is asked to do a skill that they rarely have to utilize for their day job? It's just like, you know, you, you know, you're in marketing, right? And no, no, today you are going to go do tech support. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I need to improve my marketing. Nope. You're doing tech support today. Or, you know, you know what, you're going to go down to the warehouse and unload boxes. That's your job today. And for, for, uh, for, pitchers they're trying to work on the command they're trying to work on their their uh non-fastball offerings all of these things and then they're asked to take time out of that schedule to work on something that they're going to use like two percent of the week if that uh and especially in the ale i mean these guys we you know max scherzer got busted in the face trying to and he's a national league pitcher got uh, the broken nose or black eye trying to practice a bunt during batting practice uh, you know, these, these are things that aren't necessary. And so that's where it's just, I, I agree with you in that we need to have the best product possible. And these pitcher at bats are nothing because even then, okay, the number seven hitter gets on base. It's like, okay, do I pitch to the number eight hitter or do I try to pitch around to him and then get first and second? And then, okay, then the pitcher is going to try to sack bunt them all. We're not going to have all four infielders basically sitting on the pitcher's mound waiting for this to happen. And you're still, you know, I'll, I don't, I hate it. Hate it, hate it, because I hate bunts as much as I hate pitchers hitting. <laughs> the, the other part of it, we've talked about this part of it before, Army, is that uh, we both, we, we played baseball growing up, high school, college, et cetera. MLB is the only league where pitchers hit. <laughs> it's like yeah. growing up, like I, I, I if you were good, you got to hit. Like yeah. there were teams that I got to hit on. I was a pitcher, but I was spending all my time practicing pitching. And yes. so the idea that you would go 20 years of your life on, you know, give or take, uh, not practicing one thing potentially because specialization really does start in the little league in some cases. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I'll, I'll yeah, I think, I think that's definitely like within our era about 15, 20 years ago, if you were pitching that day, you weren't in the lineup, whether you were capable of being a hitter or not, it's literally, you, you need to focus on your pitching today and <clears throat> having, yeah, Max Scherzer bust his face. Like that's, it's just like a skill that from, you know, one to 15, you're probably hitting and, uh, you know, probably your best player on your team. But then once you get into like college and then minor leagues, they take your bat away. You're not honing that skill anymore. And then you're also facing the best of the best. Like, so you went from facing high school pitchers to not hitting for five years and then facing, you know, Verlander. Like, <laughs> well, you're going to have like a huge gap in your, your, your skill. But like, there, there's obviously like players like Bumgarner or, uh, Shohei Otani that are like gifted in that in that skill but it's it's still just like that's a, a rarity you're not um impressing people with your ninth place hitter the injury and safety thing is another issue because you see these guys not just hit and struggle to hit guys get hurt all the time in the box running the bases like right 
most of these guys are not sliding every day. They're not, you know, they're not diving head first every day. Yeah. I mean, remember the year Charlie Morton hurt himself uh, hustling out of the box, tore his hamstring, was done for the year uh, with the Phillies. Uh, I think it was 16, uh, 15 or 16 that happened. But in, in the example we'll use is like, okay, but you're taking the bat out of Zach Greinke's hand. I mean, Zach Greinke last year hit 271, slugged 583 over 54 at bats, right? He had three homers. Uh, but who's to say Zach Greinke doesn't hit? Let him hit. Maybe you DH for Martin Maldonado. Martin Maldonado's there for his defense. He cannot, he's not a good hitter. So DH and let Maldonado just catch. And if you want to have Granky hit, let him hit. Yeah, you give people the ability to do that. Uh, if you have, if you consider a weapon, everybody always talks about Madison Bumgarner. Oh, wow, he's a hitter. Get a buck 27 last year. <laughs> a lot of his reputation is from a few years ago when he had the either four and the five home runs. But that's like five years ago. Madison Bumgarner, everybody always brings up that example. Grinky's the best one you have. That guy can legit hit. Uh, and he looks like a hitter. Uh, but the uh, the other guys, if you want to DH for the, somebody else, let them. You know, you want to make, back in the day, if you had Ray Ordonez, Ordonez yeah. um, you know, that kind of thing, DH for Ray Ordonez. Let him feel. That's what he does really good. Yeah, get the, get the best nine hitters on your team in the lineup as often as possible. And you have you know, the best product, I think. Well, I mean, you see the offense, what we're seeing last year with the ball and everything, that's one thing. But, you know, pitchers are throwing harder. You know, we're seeing more and more pitchers throwing with more velocity, with nastier stuff. Everything is advancing for the pitchers. The only thing that's advanced for the hitters is the baseball changing. <laughs> that's really the one thing. But so pitchers can do a bunch of stuff and hitters can only do so much. Yeah, you you could do long angle and try to do that. But then the pitchers are starting. And that's why you continue to see the strikeout rates go higher and higher and higher because pitchers are taking advantage of that approach and everything else that they use. Um, but it just velocity is just keeps getting – the average fastball velocity is and strikeout rate are on the same kind of uh, trajectory. Trajectory. Can't get the word. Do you have a theory for that? I mean, I know Army and I have talked about uh, the advent of weighted ball programs, uh, long toss programs really getting honed. Uh, we joke about the Bauer system getting us back into a game, things like yeah. that. Do you have a theory as to why velocity has has not just ticked up so much at the top end, but at the bottom end especially? Is it just that guys now have the regimens that they didn't have? 20 yeah, I think it's I think it's the availability of the tools, the regimens, uh, and the focus on the mechanics, especially in the lower half. A lot of it used to be arm strength, arm strength, arm strength, arm strength. But you know, you're you know, you pitched. Um, I pitched in high school, but it's just like your lower half, your legs were everything. I mean, that comes way back to Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver. Your legs is is the is the basis, but a lot of the the total body treatment now uh, is what my is where I think it is, as people are pay, paying attention. You look at some of these guys, and you know, now that we have a lot of old video to watch uh, on, on YouTube or MLB Network and whatever, you see a lot of these guys in the 80s and 90s. They all look like slobs. Uh, you, know, you look at these guys now, and they're massive, uh, and everybody is in great shape. And you saw well, pictures I mean, of Aroldis Chapman. Aroldis so Chapman looks like, I mean, he is jacked up this year if he gets to pitch. I mean, these, that's what these guys look like now. They all look like they could play any sport. I Whereas mean, the 80s and 90s pitcher looked like a softball pitcher. Yeah, they used to smoke cigarettes in the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> this was, and it was like this was their summer job. They they went back home and you know still uh, you know pulled hay when they got back. That <laughs> <laughs> they weren't being paid millions of dollars to be you know you know you've got a nutritionist, you're in shape, you're doing Pilates year round. Like mm -hmm. that did not exist like literally 40 years ago. And be, before that, it was yeah, Babe Ruth was the best player and like. 
I don't, that guy doesn't scream athleticism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Your, uh, your second uh, suggestion here, and I'm just going off this tweet, but I think I want to extrapolate a little bit here was you, you called out advanced stats replacing card stats on the screen, which uh, as a saber nerd of, of a bit myself, I'm definitely for, but actually I think I want to take this in a, a broader direction, which is the, the telecast experience itself. Mm-hmm. I think uh, has probably seen the least innovation of any sport um, of any major sport, at least. And, uh, you know, to me leaves a ton to be desired. I've, you know, Matt and I have gotten like very into esports uh, in the last few years mm-hmm. and the experience there, when you start, when you, when you think about starting a sport or telecast or broadcasting experience from scratch, you have a lot more freedom, right? Is whereas right. baseball, you're always working off of something. You're always just editing, tuning, and uh, hoping you can improve 1% a year because this thing has been around for, for quite some time now. Um, so if we just think broadly about like the broadcast experience, we can start with the advanced stats, replacing the card stats. Um, I'd love to hear your, your case for that, but I think there's some other elements here that I, I definitely want to call out too. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just forever. It's always been batting average, home runs, RBIs. I mean, we bar- we don't even see steals on there half the time, unless the guy gets on base, then they will start talking about that. But it's always been those same three stats as long as we've been watching baseball and, you know, Tampa Bay did some, uh, if you, I don't know, seven years ago or so. They had, I think Sam Fold was injured, and they had him in the broadcast booth, and they had sabermetrics broadcast, and they were talking. They used OPS as a sabermetric thing. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like if we could see different things like that, yeah, the, the StatCast broadcast, when they've done those throughout the season with Mike Petriello and um, uh, Eduardo Perez and you know, I'm drawing a blank on who else has, has been in that booth. Those have been great. I mean, I've re- it's been a nice taste to say, man, I wish I had this option every game. Or if there was a way, if you're subscribing to MLB.tv, uh, you can set a filter. These are the stats you want to see on, the, uh, on your broadcast. If you want to be a basic guy, be a basic guy. If you want to see the advanced stuff, just throw a switch and all of a sudden, voila, you're seeing different things up there. But I think it would be because that's where – you know, a lot of fans, when they argue about why is this guy, why are we playing this guy and not this guy? Why is this guy in the game? And if you can put yourself in the mind of the general manager, all 30 clubs are talking the language that the three of us want in a broadcast where the fans are being stuck in the batting average. Like this guy, he's four for eight lifetime against his pitcher. He sees him really well. Why aren't they using <laughs> yeah. this guy? Uh, you know, or, you know, he was hitting, he's hitting 400 over the past week. Yeah. You can get <laughs> on a heater or whatnot, but I think if, if you want to advance the sport, then you've got to advance the fan base into the same language that the club is talking about. I mean, you see more and more players talking about it now. You see all, the, all 30 front offices are talking about it, and you just got to pull the fan base up, those who want to. And if they don't want to, you still have other options. You can't say, sorry, we're leaving you behind, but you got to present some more options to this so people can get more on the same page. We're seeing it more in football. They're talking about, um, you know, tra- targets is in the lexicon. Targets wasn't there, what, five, six years ago. Yard after catch was the big thing. But we're seeing more of the, more of the advanced terms being used in the football broadcast than we are in majority of baseball podcasts or, or broadcasts, rather. And that concerns me. And the, the devil's advocate to that is always, well, you're going to lose broad appeal, right? It's like, oh, people aren't going to be interested in stats they're not already familiar with. And mm-hmm. I think – I mean, my argument for this or against this is always, or for the, for the advanced stats has always been, listen, like it's kind of 
the era of like, hey, there's only five channels. If we put on a baseball game, you're going to watch it. And we want to appeal to everyone who could possibly stumble upon this. That's over. Right. Like there are thousands of channels. There's Netflix. There's Disney. There's a million streaming platforms. There's YouTube. You can watch anything you want at any time. Mm -hmm. And the specialization of, of broadcast in this area means that there's no point in trying to do this broad-based like solicitation of like let me get some new customers with our most basic and easily understood offer because then you are as you said like you're really alienating the people who care a lot about this because i don't care what this guy did against somebody 10 years ago like that, right. that isn't a relevant matchup a lot changes in 10 years a lot changes in one year um and a lot changes day to day is like oh that guy uh you know he pitched two innings of relief yesterday he's a totally different pitcher today than he was then and so a lot of that stuff is stuff that you just, you, when you feel like you know more than what the broadcast is presenting, it really sort of just feels like that's, you get that sense of like, I'm, I'm being served a diluted, dumbed down product. And it's particularly bad on the pitching side, because even you hear the broadcaster, like, this guy's got 12 wins and a 374 Ugh. ERA, and here's this other guy with seven wins and a 420 ERA, so we know which guy's the better pitcher, do we? No, we don't. But it's it's problematic on the pitching side to hear it. I mean, I'm one of these nerds who I like listening to broadcasts from different. Like, uh, if 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 Tampa Bay, if I'm in the car, Tampa Bay is playing home. I want to listen to Dave and Andy. I've listened to them forever. So they've been with the team since 2005. Uh, so it's like I've listened to them forever. But when the team's on the road, I'm in the car. I want to pick up the road broadcast and I want to listen to who you know how other teams are doing it and. Uh, you know, that's where I noticed, I'm like, wow, uh, some big, some big contrast out there in broadcast, especially on the radio side, TV is TV. And it's always going to be like that. These guys are going to get hung up on wins, um, and ERA to determining who's the best pitcher. Uh, but it's, there's definitely room for improvement. Some teams, uh, some broadcasts do a really good job of it. If you haven't listened to Tampa Bay broadcast on the radio, do so. They do an excellent job of it on television. Um, Brian Anderson, the former pitcher of the Diamondbacks and, and the Indians, phenomenal. I, I'm surprised he's still in Tampa Bay because he's such a good – he does such a good job on the broadcast. Um, and he does some of the national Fox things from time to time, but he is excellent at doing it as well. Hmm. Arnie, what would you change about the broadcast? See, that, that, uh, so you guys are fighting for, like, the advancement in stats being on the broadcast, but I think you're going to watch the game no matter what what the show is trying to appeal to is the other 90% of people who are just, you know, blindly watching a Giants game or a baseball game. Like, <laughs> right. They, they, and like when you bring up like average and like home runs and ERA, that's how the general public, that's the bar that they, they measure previous players or, you know, their favorite player. It's like, Oh, he's hitting over 300. So he must be having a good year. Mm -hmm. it's like, well, yeah, what if he's like slugging three hundreds? Like, okay, he's not really doing too much for for anyone, and he's not getting on base or something. But that's that's how like people mostly watch the game. I feel it's like, oh, you know, Bellinger has fifty home runs. Like, oh, he's he's really good. It's like, well, maybe he's a you know really bad outfielder or something. Right. Now, um, there's been a lot of other pieces of the broadcast that have seen at least some interest from the commissioner's level of let's say we need to make these changes to make it a better product on tv for the fans one of them being shorten the game uh, and that's been a very broad kind of like mm -hmm. we need to take away uh the time between pitches we need to take away the time between innings um there's a lot of different ways i've heard of people talking about achieving this a do you guys think that this is 
like, is this a legitimate complaint? Like, are people actually saying the game is too long? Or, and this, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm shading it here, but, or is the game too slow for the current brain? And I think it's, it's going to be different for people who've watched hundreds and thousands of games, but there is certainly an element of in this very short attention span era of I'm used to getting these quick hits of dopamine on the mm -hmm. internet in any type of content that I'm consuming, where now when I watch a baseball game, the pace is slower than I remember because there's this sort of like multi-screen experience, right? It's like, I'm, I'm reading what Jason's saying on Twitter. I'm texting Matt about how bad this person looks. It's like, you've got all these things now. Is the game too slow or is it, is it just too long? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. And uh, I mentioned uh, Petriello's name earlier. He wrote something a few weeks ago talking about the, uh, how more frequent foul balls are in today's game than they used to be. I mean, you can have hitters go up there and you, you have this eight, nine, ten pitch at bat with a lot of foul balls uh, that didn't happen previously. And that's what slows the game down. Foul ball, camera angle's got a pan, show the kid holding the ball up in the air, all of those things, and that slows the game down. He talked about, you know, if we're talking about radical change, he talked about a, a limit to foul balls, how many you can have in a plate appearances. Uh, so, you, you know, you get three, and after that, they start counting the strikes. Even if it's a two-strike count, you already have three foul balls. Your next one's a strikeout. Uh, treat it like uh, your local softball league. So that's one of the things. But I think that's where it slowed things down because getting back to the how better pitchers are, are getting now, guys are up there just trying to protect themselves uh, and can still do a decent job uh, of spoiling off some pitches while they're waiting for their pitch. But that's where it slowed down. But I, if you think about the, the average NFL broadcast, though, there's 60 minutes of gameplay in an NFL game, but yet that broadcast takes – up to 200 minutes to cover. So you talk about all this downtime, 60 minutes of action in a game, but the broadcast is at least 180 minutes. So, you know, in football, it's the same type of thing, but it's just the way, you know, football, big crowds, big action plays, uh, because they can happen more frequently. Nobody talks about how long a football game is, but I can't, uh, like, was it this year's college football championship that push four hours. I mean, and I love college football, but I was like, oh my God, this was long. But I've never really said that about an NFL game, uh, except when I'm at it. There's a difference. If you watch an NFL game on TV, you're like, this is cool. If you're at an NFL game, you're like, oh my God, everything's a stop in action. You don't realize how bad it is unless you're there. Uh, and baseball, I've never felt different. I mean, if I'm at a game, I actually enjoy it more than I do watching it on TV. I think the, the argument about why no one worries about football's length versus baseball's length is that baseball has 162 games, whereas football has 17. Mm, so like every week is, you know, worth a large portion of your team's, you know, standings. Whereas mm -hmm. watching three hours of baseball, like, ah, oh, we had a tough game. Like it's only one, one sixty tooth of the season. <laughs> this, this game didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Whereas yeah. football, like you lose a game, that's like a big factor. Um, so like you're, you're a little more invested in the result of the game. I'll say, I'll say you are talking to two people who do complain about the length of football games. The, uh, <laughs> the Super Bowl this year noticeably was, uh, I, I think there were multiple times where I forgot even who had the ball because the stoppages yeah. were so long. Um, really, uh, I mean, and it's the same true for baseball, right? It's like, if you really, if you, if you're saying that the length of the game is your problem, it's the commercials and it's, it's the time yeah. between innings. And that's something that they have been unwilling to change for. I mean, that's the, that's, that's one of the challenges of baseball as a business, many, like many other businesses, 
where the way that they monetize the game is in direct conflict with the quality of their product. The more they right. try to make money out of it, the worse the actual viewing experience is, right? It's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, when we all played in school, what did we get? Like five to seven warm-up pitches in between? It's like, all right, next, <laughs> three outs, get up there. You know, coaches never let you walk out so that you have to run out to your position, get on there, get as the, unless, the, unless the catcher, you know, they were the last out, then somebody was back there with a mask and glove. But we never had that much time. Yeah, that was the beauty. There's no commercials. To I right once now. started a game with no warm-ups. You know Elsner, obviously, Army, but our coach basically like changed his mind five minutes before a game as to who would start the game and he just said go pitch and i said and this was in college and i was like okay like <laughs> i've done no warming up like fine but yeah the time needed to get ready for an inning is not anywhere near the amount of commercials that they show now what about so we talked about a little bit of softball earlier i've played a bunch of softball um what about the one in one count so if you if you were to i haven't heard too much of this one proposed but if you just started everybody with a one in one count mm-hmm. how does that change the percentage of plays or the percentage of, I guess the way I look at it is like, if there's, if there's 10 units of action in the, or nine, let's use nine units of action in the game. What yeah. is the percentage of those units that is exciting that are, that are action pitches, if you will. And I think if you go to the one in one count, I'll propose that that would actually increase the percentage of the game in which there's high action falls in play. It get, that gets to the integrity. Everything else we've talked about really doesn't touch the integrity of the record uh, of the history of the game. Going to a one-on-one count does. And I think that's the differentiator because that is the action pitch. I mean, you talk to any pitching coach, it's that one. The difference in just, you know, just using something as easy as OPS, the, the, the differential in OPS from going 2-1 in the count versus 1-2 is somewhere around 400 points. It is a massive action pitch. So people talk about first pit, the importance of the first pitch, first pitch strike. You're like, yeah, okay, great. The importance of the first pitch strike is it gets you closer to that 1-1 action pitch because, again, uh, go, falling behind in the count 2-1, big difference. You can go to Baseball Savant and just look at the, the way the, the pitch tracks goes from the, the 0-0 count. The difference between 1-0 uh, and 0-1 is not that high. And one and one is not that, but there's a big difference between one and two and two and one, and that's the action pitch. So then if you start up one and one, and that's the first differentiator, that the, the outcome of that plate appearance massively swings. Whereas in, right now, zero, zero, there's not much of a difference between taking the first pitch for a strike or getting a first pitch ball. It really isn't a big, differenti- uh, big differentiator. I definitely hear the sort of like, it's always been this way. This game is very much dependent on having a thread at least of consistency through it. I mean, I could bring up a million changes that have happened to the game, height of the mound, right. who is allowed to play, size of the field, nutrition, yeah. all sorts of contextual changes that have happened over the lifetime of the game that have made it very difficult to compare contextually until you really mm-hmm. start to look at contextually based stats um, between eras. So I think there's some edges to it. Um, and maybe I'll ask it in a, in a different way of both of you. Uh, if the If there weren't, a hundred plus years of history of doing it one way would the product of starting every at bat on the action pitch be a better product for the fans uh, i don't think Matt. so Go ahead, i think I, I mean hitting is so difficult especially like uh i i when you had scrims and it was one one like boom those those things move quickly you could get a lot of innings in but like you're your approach to an at bat is like completely different. Like 
you're definitely looking to hit right away in a 1-1 count. Whereas like in OO, you're like, mm, I'm, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to guess at what he's going to tr- try and throw here. Whereas a 1-1 count, you're like kind of on the defensive already. Hmm. Yeah, and like uh, I agree because when you get that, when you get to the point, like I was just looking on fan graphs, you know, through a one, the splits league-wide last year, through a 1-1 count, the league batting average was 233. So uh, if we started with 0-0, I think the league batting average last year was 249. So already we're diminishing the offensive products just by batting average, just by 16 points. Now, if you go through a 1-2 count, the league-wide batting average falls to 178. Just using batting average because it's nice and easy to find. And if we use it, go to a 2-1 count, now we're talking about a league-wide batting average of 247, which gets back to where the actual league-wide batting average. So we're talking about a 75 point difference just in batting average based on the first pitch of a bat, uh, of an at-bat if we started with a one-on-one count. That's extreme. And I'm very progressive in, for, in terms of changes, but that to me is too far. Hmm. Interesting. My, uh, my only addition or like a, a change to the way the game is played currently is that they, the extra inning uh, ideas that they've been coming up with where, you know, once it gets to the 12th inning, like we just start with a guy on second base. Like it's one, because like, no one in the stands can buy beer anymore. You can't buy food anymore. Number like, one, alcohol availability. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not here, you know, to watch baseball. We're trying to make money here. But, like, <laughs> and it's miserable. Like, you start a game at 7 o'clock, you're in the 12th inning. It's midnight, 1 a.m. Okay, yeah. so we did – I, I want to interject here because we did say we were talking about broadcast in general. Stop starting games at 7. That's got to be one of my yeah. biggest problems with the sport is it's yeah. the games start much too late. and and Takes kids out of it until summertime hits. Uh, but, I mean, the whole – I'm glad you brought up the minor league thing because that's actually worked out well. I mean, when I, if I'm at a minor league game, I, I've got the Charlotte Knights, a AAA uh, team of the uh, White Sox here, which has been fun to watch lately with Moncada and uh, Jimenez and Robert. And, you know, it's been fun. Uh, we had Kopech here pitching before he got hurt. So, uh, it's, it's been fun. But when they when games, it gets the extra inning. Okay, guy starts on second base. It's like – we didn't have those 14 inning games. That game was pretty much done within two innings once that rule got into play. Uh, so I like it. I mean, I didn't hear people complaining about it because, again, these things aren't going long. But I've been, let's see, one year, 2013, the Rays and the Orioles played on my birthday, which is September 20th. 18 innings. That game started at 7.05. It ended at 1-something in the morning. 1-something. And it was so bad. And, and – St. Pete Tropicana Field is was exactly two hours from my driveway to its parking lot. Uh, and I had to pull over and go to a rest stop and fall asleep to get home because I, <laughs> I could not stay awake anymore uh, by the time I got out of that game. But, yeah, it was 18 innings, and I think it was David DeJesus hit a walk-off single uh, to score Upton or something, and that's how the game ended. But I just uh, – some friends of mine were in a suite because I was actually in the media part, and so I walked over to the suite, and – their wives and kids were already asleep in the back. They didn't go home. They were just sleeping in the I back. I can't believe they stayed. Same <laughs> one car, you know, they came together or in a van or something, but they were sleeping in the back of the suite. Um, but yeah, 18 innings was so miserable, but I, I, I like the, I like the way the minor leagues handle it. I know it's a, it's a small change, uh, but it, it preserves, it preserves arms. You don't have to, you know, after some of these long games, it's like, okay, who's got options left? Matt, I'm sorry, man. You're going to the minor leagues for a couple of weeks. We're calling up Wes. He's got a fresh arm. But that's where it comes down to. It's like, who's got options? Some of these guys, you know, these the, the major leaguers, like, oh, we have an extra innings game. 
great. Somebody's getting demoted tonight because uh, it has to happen. I mean, somebody wears it, and then somebody's got to go down to the minors for a few weeks, and somebody else comes up. Yeah. But what people will say is that, but we're we're gonna lose the position players pitching, and that's so fun. Like, <laughs> Again, yeah, would you trade off like the eighty guys who have to get Tommy John, like in the because they had to throw five innings that they weren't supposed to on short rests? Or... I will say we would lose uh, yeah. we would lose that old uh, was it it was Nationals Giants I think that eighteen inning game at my place. Yeah. Remember that army? I I, uh, I think in the playoffs you could probably like get rid of yeah. The, well, obviously the games are more important. But. That was one of the most memorable ones, not just for the fact that it was an 18-inning game that ended in a go-ahead home run, I think. Brandon Belt, am I remembering yes, correctly? Um, but nice. at my house, there's no seventh-inning curfew. And so drinks continued to be served. And so after an additional 11 innings after the seventh inning of drinking, our friend Charlie punched two of us in the face in celebration. <laughs> <laughs> he just uppercutted me as a part of his, like, Exuberance. So you'll well, you you're actually have to see the major league where Roger Dorn punches Rick Vaughn. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was pretty much that. So you would you would miss out on that if you cut those out for regular season games. But yeah, I think for the playoffs that would make that would make some good sense. Anything else on the, the TV, the broadcasting? Um one of the advantages that uh football has is that uh I only consume football via red zone now. Yeah. Oh but yes. You can identify once they're inside the twenty there's going to be some action going on here. Whereas baseball, like one pitch could be a home run. Like mm -hmm. the, you can't really zoom in on like, this is going to be a, an important event here. So like it, it has like a, the attention span. You can't really fix that portion of the game so much. Yeah. Red zone is really the best way to watch football. And I agree. I mean, at least um, there's a uh, Dan and I'm drawing a blank on his last name. Uh, he wrote a script that you can use with MLB.tv. So at least I think there's a runner and you can get alerts. If there's oh, a is runner scoring. Is it? Yeah, uh, no, 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 it's uh he's a, a former race, uh, not former race fan, but he's a race guy. He lives in uh, Kansas and trying to blank on his last name, but Dan wrote a script um, that allows you to um, it. If you're MLB TV, it'll say, Hey, runner in scoring position in this game. It'll just give you a flash. So you're like, Oh, I'm going to click on that. So if it, it forces you to do things, but at least you can get some alerts to get a heads up, like, Hey, there's a running or scoring position. But if it's a 9 3 game with two outs in the ninth inning, who cares? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the kind of thing that it, it, it does. But yeah, maybe there's an extra, maybe there's an extra filter they can develop at some point where it's like, Hey, this is by leverage indexed. This is a 1.5 leverage index play. Yeah, I want to click over and see what's happening here. Uh, and that could draw your attention to it. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll let her know because of all the blackouts. But <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah, we can't, we can't talk about broadcasting without the blackouts. That's got to change. I cannot believe. Unbelievable. Maybe that's something they could change in the next collective. I don't know if it's part of the CBA, but they've got to change it. It's such, it's such a nightmare for to be blacked out like that and have the I – mean, we're stuck in a map from the 60s and 70s. Seattle fans, if you're if you're a Seattle fan living in North Dakota, I'm sorry, you can't watch the game. It's you've got to think about the sport <laughs> in a national way. Like my customer, it doesn't matter what state they're in; they're likely to be traveling. They're very likely to be watching online. Mm -hmm. You've got to make the product available like that. I know they've opened up the doors a little bit, but for doing like a highlight clip on YouTube for a long time, there was a good chance that would just get immediately taken down. Imagine yeah. any other business where one of your customers would make a commercial for you and you tell them, take it down. I don't want right? it. You used to be able to easily embed the video clips. Now you can't do that as much. Uh, they, they, you know, they've, they've taken away some of that. I mean, the baseball savant page is 
outstanding because you can look at look for things and and do things there. But the broadcast is really where it's got. I mean, I feel bad for the folks in Iowa. I think they have six different broadcasts blacked out on on TV. It's one thing, but like uh, if you think of MLB TV, you know, you pay one nineteen a year. What if I pay one seventy nine? Can I get a blackout free version? Of that? If I'm willing to pay the extra money, it, you know, send it straight to the app or whatever. If I can, I pay a, a premium to get a premium version of it instead of just here's the basic. Give me the blackout free version, or maybe you can't get all thirty. But let me pick. This is my favorite team, and this yeah, is the one I want. That's the one you know, that I can't get past. I cannot. You know, you can black out other teams, but don't touch my Rays. Yeah. Don't touch my Giants. You know, those types of things. And let me get, give you some control over that. Uh, and you can throw all the commercials you want in that broadcast. I don't care. You know, just not the same four like it does sometimes yeah. uh, during the season. But yeah. it is. Um, they got to do something about that because that rule's been in place as long as all of us have been watching baseball. And is there a streaming option? Like Army and I, we t- we talk about this, right? It's like. We can't watch the Giants on MLB TV, right? Living here? No. Yeah. Um, no. Currently, uh, if you have a cable subscription, you can watch uh, NBC Sports. Right, right. But how many? Oh, yeah. pe- I mean, I mean, what percentage of people still? I, I don't have. I haven't had. You have to have TV like a parent in, in years. You can. I, the lazy way around this is if you VPN into an office yeah. out of your time zone. You know, but again, but why do I have to have a, a product to get at a sport that's been on TV for decades? It's crazy. Precisely. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be up to the consumer to to find a way to to consume the product. And yeah, it's you know you're that. you know you know all about customer customer effort score. Uh, and if this gets back to CES, it's like the harder your customer has to work at your product. I don't care how much they love it, they may leave it for something else. Yeah, reduce the friction for your customers to be able to enjoy your product, and they will stay. And you know keep the friction there, they will find something else. This is yeah. why kids are like. Oh, I can't watch my favorite team. Okay, I'm going to go over here and play this, or go do this, or go do this. And it's they got to they they have to pay attention to their CES. I don't care how good they think their net promoter score is, but <laughs> that, that's a that's a macro level read. But they got to look at their customer effort score because and that's also work really that's hard. also from a, a finite pool, right? Which I think strategically, a lot of the decisions we've been watching from the commissioner's office for years now has not been about growing the game. It's been about keeping what we have. Uh, keeping protection. our audience, <laughs> which which they're doing a good job of, but that audience is aging, as yes. everyone keeps uh, bringing up, right? And so I do have to say, at some point, and I don't know if it'll be a one-on-one count, but at some point, the audience is going to start to shrink at, yeah. at a rate where they are going to have to make some dramatic change to modernize either the game and the product on the field, or the way that it's monetized. Because mm-hmm. I think the going like as we talked about, like the dynamics of streaming the dynamics of like the short attention spans like there's just a different you cannot continue to just show a bunch of commercials every 20 pitches and do that for three hours and expect for people to stick around with you the whole time maybe we get maybe this year's uniforms if we ever get them are are the precursor to what the possible path forward is i mean this year we have nike logos on jerseys maybe next year it's a sponsorship patch we see it in the nba the nba is starting to put those on Baseball is always resisted on doing that. Maybe they start, you know, here's your corporate sure. team sponsor, your Giants brought to you by Oracle. Uh, yeah, yeah, we went, we've, been to games, we've been to games in Japan and Korea where they have those patches on there. No one, exactly. no one there hates the game. Right? Exactly. It's, it's not exactly. a problem yeah. for anyone. Uh, Formula yeah, maybe one, they make the change there. Formula One, uh, yeah. soccer, like all these sports have done it. And there's been people still go by their, you know, their uh, – 
Herbalife <laughs> team. I don't even know what team that is. And they have Herbalife on the front. I know it's a popular team. And so right. it's, uh, it's certain, there are certainly existing models out there. I, mm-hmm. I, I worry a bit as a baseball lifer that uh, it's almost got too much of the, it's almost too much of an American sport where it's like they have the, almost the same reason we're dealing with a lot of the problems we are today and during this uh, pandemic is that we don't want to learn from other sports. We don't want to learn from other countries. Very true. We'd rather figure it out for ourselves. And, and unfortunately that requires a lot of failing up front. Well, I would like to see, I would like to see us acquire the passion. You know, like we, we see the passion of the college world series and how the, you know, when these guys hit a home run, they're all, you know, they're all juiced up. So excited. You know, we watch the, the world baseball classic and all the emotion that, and we see the emotion uh, in the crowd for games uh, in, in Korea and Japan uh, that all of that is missing in the major league baseball for most of the season. We see they get to the world series, ALCS, NLCS, some of that comes to be, but for the most part, it's like, you know, what I, you watch some of the winter league baseball games and how, how the fans and the players are going and celebrating moments that are frowned upon in our game. And that I would like to see that change. You want to talk about pulling in younger fans. That's what they want to see. I mean, even this year in football, you saw it was, was some of the way the XFL was doing things. The NFL forever was banning celebrations and they've eased back into that now. And, and that's brought some fans in. But I think to your point about the fan base being finite, I think one of the things I'm encouraged about, at least I see it from the fantasy end is younger coming in maybe it's because i'm just getting older i don't know but it, like I've, I've been going to arizona for the first pitch forums from baseball hq in usa today since 2007 and i think my first year i was one of the youngest people in the room and i was in my late 30s at that time uh now uh i see a lot more like i'm in the the older 50 percent of that room now where i used to be in the bottom two percent uh, and so it's encouraging to see younger people coming in and playing like my son wants to do fantasy baseball this year he's 14 um, uh, I'm hoping we have a season so he can. <laughs> so right now we've been playing Stratomatic yeah. <laughs> baseball <laughs> to, to get him going on that. Uh, but I, I do see what we have the opportunity and we'll see if this, this pause in the sport allows them to do some resets. Because in a short season, I'm reading the book right now called uh, They Bleed Blue by Jason Turnbow talking about the 81 Dodgers. Uh, and it talks about some of the things they went as they came up with how are we going to handle this split season because they had those 50 days off between the first half and the second half. What are we going to do to make the, and it was just very interesting reading on how they came up with the, all right, we're going to have a first half champ and a second half champ. And, you know, the Reds and the Cardinals both got screwed out because they both had better records than some teams that made the playoffs, but they didn't win the first half or the second half. And now with this, you know, maybe we have a hundred game season, but this is the chance to try out a few things. And I think the uh, universal DH may be the easiest thing to put into play, but they have a chance to try out some things and see what sticks. Well, you said it right there. We may have a hundred game season or shorter, even um, a kind of good segue to the, to your next point, which was eliminate the unbalanced schedule. But I, I'll, I'll try to broaden this one as well. How about the schedule? So there's going to be the elements of like, it's always been 150 plus 160 plus since a certain time. But again, I think there is a contrast there between how do you get some of the, the excitement that you're talking about in football that you're talking about in winter leagues or sh- things where the attention span for the players, actually the participants who are going to be the ones who are either bring or don't bring that passion and excitement to the table. Mm-hmm. Is there some adjustment that you make there? Because I don't know about you, but I really like my job. I can't go in there and be freaking fist pumping every single day. It's just not possible. And I don't think it's fair to expect that of baseball players who are playing 162 games in nine months, who are flying tens of thousands of miles every single year. Like the energy needed to be 
that intense and have that passion on a day-to-day basis is actually not realistic to expect of someone who's, who's making that sort of thing. So do you shorten the season? Do you reduce the number of games in the season? Uh, we talked about, I'm just throwing a lot here, but we talked about in, uh, improving the quality of play. Mm-hmm. Certainly if you reduce the number of games, if you said we only have one game a week like football, and I'm just making the sort of very extreme comparison, uh, well, then we're only seeing number one starters every game. And does that raise up the quality of play to a level that we haven't seen before? Where right. now you've got a number one starter who goes through the lineup maybe only twice, and the number two guy goes through once, and then you can cobble together uh, the end of the game there. So some, I threw a lot out there, but just open the floor. How, what do you guys think about the schedule? Matt? Yeah, I think the volume is semi-needed to verify that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. Because like in a one-game instance, like Sean Green with four home runs is the greatest baseball player. <laughs> but like, you, you need the volume to like have um, – you know, a basis of like who's a good player and who's replacement level. Um, but I for sure, like you cannot commit six out of seven days of the week to three hours of baseball. It's like, there's too many other options currently. So like if it was put down to three, like that'd be way more manageable to like be invested in tuning in that, that game means more and it's not as frequent. And Again, yeah, like you lose the historical statistics that you track and everyone loves like home run chases or hit streaks or any stuff like that. It's just like that can go away. I think that's what this world is evolving, that we don't have time for that. (laughs) I mean, you could get into – there's ways of changing that. You can call – records you can start by with the with the recent expansion era we've been a 30 team league since 1998 right and you can say okay now we've got this is our new record bay and maybe we had the uh maybe we had expansion era one which was 1961 to 1997 now we're in expansion area two where it's this because if baseball does try to expand again we're going to have another another explosion uh, of, of offense the way we saw unless they make some other changes to that but I think you know at minor leaguers minor league the full minor league seasons have always had 144 game season uh, baseball was at 154 until I think 61 when they went to 162 uh, where it has stayed uh, since and I'm I'm for reducing uh, because you know back in the day way back in the day baseball used nobody played on Mondays it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, travel, Friday, Saturday, doubleheader and then Mondays were your travel day to get to your next place and we don't have we don't have that full day off where everybody is off, uh, where the whole league is off. We have that like right after the All Star break, and that's it. But if we had like maybe a five, nobody plays more than five games a week, uh, because there are some grinds. So you look at some of the schedules. There are some times when guys are playing twenty nine of thirty one days. I mean, it, and that's right out of the gate, and it's not balanced either. I mean, when I'm talking about unbalanced, I'm just talking about who you're playing, but the amount of games you play. Like every a team will have okay, the distance got, you have to travel, right? That too with Seattle. I mean, they get killed every year. Seattle and Miami get killed by their travel. Um, but if you just look at if you look at the fact that uh, you know there are sometimes a team will have to wait seven weeks into the season to get two days off in the same week. That's ridiculous. I'm for like five days, five games, five days of playing, two games out. Uh, yeah, it'll mess up with your rotations, but I think that's the other thing you're going to see this year. If we do have a 100-game season, 80-game season, whatever we have, the way the pitcher is used is going to be completely different because uh, you can see, you know, especially early out of the gate, starting pitcher, 
going like three innings, four innings, bringing in your relievers, because you don't have to conserve these guys over the course of a 162-game season, you can leverage your A bullpen. You know, have your, have your third, fourth, fifth starter come in, work three innings, bring in your A bullpen, let them finish the game out. Uh, and then, you know, work some things. But if you're like – if you're stuck on wins or quality starts, I think both those go out the window this year because pitching staffs will be used kind of like a college team in a tournament, uh, especially as you get towards the finish line because they can see Hopefully the not that too much like coming. that. We've seen some college pitchers. Uh, I always think of Austin Wood. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, but I think it'll be the opposite. I mean, just the, uh, the one and done one time through the rotation you're out. I mean, you look at the times through the order split and you know, even your worst pitcher, uh, even your worst pitcher can be good for nine batters. Uh, you look at the times I was trying – I looked at this a few weeks ago. It's like the worst the worst ERA in the league last year. That pitcher – I'm trying to think who the pitcher was. Somebody was Cincinnati. Uh, but even their first time through the order, their ERA was 450. Now, his, high, his overall ERA was somewhere in the sixes, but he had a 450 ERA first time through the order. So, if your worst pitcher – I mean, the guy was – his overall stat line was horrendous. But his first time through the order, he was serviceable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do that three innings – uh, hopefully, um, you know, or you can do, you know, nine to 12 batters next and, and just protect them from seeing the best part of the lineup two, three, ten, especially the third time through. So I can see a lot of four inning, uh, four inning outings or guys not getting that five innings to qualify for the win because the bullpen is going to take it over. And with the short season, you can't afford to take chances. You can't afford to say, oh, I'm going to leave this guy here two more batters. Let's see, because reduced, I mean, anybody can get on a heater and take a run. And there was a one time. Oh four, Devil Rays won some crazy amount of games, and they were a terrible team. They didn't even win seventy games that year, but for a month of the season, they were playing six hundred baseball out of nowhere. Rest of the season, they played three fifty baseball, but yeah, it is what happens. And so I, I can see managers uh, being more aggressive with their pitching changes rather than I'm going to ride this guy out. Hmm. The next thing you had on here was eliminating divisions. Is that? Uh... I can't wait, and I hope they 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 need to realign because like there's like a discrepancy between AL and NL. There's mm-hmm. like it's similar to basketball where like the East is inferior compared to the West. Whereas like I I hope eventually they'll just have like the 16 best teams. Like it doesn't matter what conference you're in, the playoffs. in yeah. division, and it's like it doesn't matter. Like especially this is gonna have to happen if if uh, the DH is implemented in both leagues, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, totally realignment of all the divisions. Like, just don't have them. Like, maybe have like two two different leagues. I don't even know. Just like an East. I mean, if you're gonna have two different, if you're gonna if they're gonna maintain the two different sets of rules, then just have two different leagues. And if 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 you have a hundred, if you have a hundred games, let's say we're on a hundred game schedule this year. There's 15 teams in each each league. You play each team seven times, and maybe you play the other ones eight. But this whole I'm going to play everybody in my division three times more frequently than everybody else is ridiculous. I mean, there's some unfair advantages to that. If you look at the AL Central, you know, you've been able to uh, – Cleveland has been able to enjoy some nice layups. Last year with the Twins, the Twins offense beat up on a lot of bad pitching last year. And you look at the you look at the AL Central on paper this year, and you're like, that's going to be pretty bad again this year too. Um, and some other teams, you, you try to look through and say, okay, where's the weak spot? In this, like the AL West, you can look at it and say, okay, Seattle, you're going to be terrible. But Oakland, you're going to be good. Texas, you should be good. Houston, you're really going to be good. It's like you're trying to look to try to find the weak spots, and, and they aren't there. And I would just rather say you're playing everybody just about the same amount of time. The math is tough to work, um, even over a 162-game schedule. But 
playing these other teams three times as um, frequently as everybody else is just it doesn't make any sense. It's it's not it, it creates more advantages than leveling the playing field. And to the you know the theme of like improving the product on the field, you want the best teams on the field at the end of the season. Like you don't want to have teams that are winning ninety five plus games put into one game playoffs where there are teams who aren't even winning 90 that right. are getting straight into series. And it's like, I would, when I lived in Florida, I was going over to Tampa Bay games. I would avoid Yankees and Red Sox games because, you know, a, they, they did the whole dynamic pricing, which drove me nuts, but it's like, I didn't want to deal with their fans. Uh, it's like, I would rather, I could go, I could buy an entire series of tickets. If I want to stay over the weekend and go to a series against the Royals and see a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I could buy the entire series of tickets for the same price. It would cost me to, uh, to go to a, a game against the Yankees or Red Sox. It's like, you know, you'd look at the schedule like, okay, hey, I'm a fan of this club. Oh, they're only coming one time a year. You know, if you're you're in St. Pete, you've relocated from the Bay Area, hey, I want to see Oakland play. They're coming this one weekend. That's it. That's the only time they're going to be here this year is that one weekend. But if I want to see the Yankees, they're going to be here three different times. If I want to see the Orioles, they're here three different times. It's like you look at the schedule, most of your schedule is – the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles, and the Blue Jays. That counts for 12 of your home series. And it's like, ugh, same teams every year. I'd rather see, you know, get the exposure to the rest of the league instead of making it so regional. I mean, these, even back you know, when I was growing up, we had the West and the East, and they were each seven teams. Yeah, six or seven teams. I mean, the, the Braves were in the NL West back yeah. in the day. Yeah. <laughs> the Astros were in the NL West. Uh, you know, that's how the divisions used to shake out. Uh, or the Reds were in the NL West. And, you know, and so were the Dodgers. You had these giant – it was always crazy, but I would just rather have – if we're going to – if we have to have DH different than just one league, you know, just, a, uh, just one open division, and like you said, your top six teams make it. That's the last one you on here. The, the, the league benefits from the fabricated regional rivalries. So, like, you know, Giants, Dodgers, like, L.A., SF, those are, you know, probably mm -hmm. rivals in real life. But SF and Colorado, like, no. I don't know. That's the other thing I didn't put on here. The other thing I didn't put is I don't know how you guys are, but I also hate interleague play. I mean, you, yeah. for you guys, you've got a natural Bay Area series. You could do that. But I hate interleague play because, again, it's just changing the rules. It's forcing rivalries that aren't there in a lot of other places. It's like when the Rays play the Marlins, nobody cares. Hey, nobody cares. Uh, but that's what they – and they have to play each other six times a year. And so it could be uh, – you know, I'd rather would, I would rather play six games against another American League opponent who I can push further down the standings than, than push where it's, you know, a win is, is two in the standings versus playing the Marlins where it's, okay, yeah, I beat a team over there, big deal. I'd rather, like, take a game against Cleveland and, you know, take two out of three out of Cleveland, that helps me more than playing somebody in the – it's like non-conference play in football. Yeah, yeah very conference. You've got uh, – the Mets always have to face the Yankees. Yeah, the, the unfairness of it is crazy. Is you get yeah. – yeah, certain teams, it's like, oh, you're always going to play the Red Sox. <laughs> it's like oh, – they and your, your division mate gets to always play against the Orioles. Um, definitely not right. And I think it points out another thing that I, for me has always been a problem is that what we're starting to see very clearly is that baseball – has really stuck to its guns on marketing to fans as you are a fan of this team. And so we are going to optimize your fan experience for 
your team. And so it, it, it necessitates the creation of some of these artificial rivalries. Mm-hmm. Sure, there are the real ones that have go back decades and decades and our parents and grandparents follow them. But most of them, like you said, Army, are like, the Giants have no rivalry with the Diamondbacks, have no rivalry with the Rockies. Like, we don't care about these teams as Giants fans. Um, it's just, it's, it's nonsense. And I think where the element that has is sort of gone under the radar, or maybe not, I don't know, but has seemed to me to not be part of that conversation is that it comes at the expense of marketing the sport and the players. And so right. what happens is if my team's not good, I'm not going to watch any games because I don't want to watch my team lose five nights a week. Like that's just not an enjoyable time for me. It's the same reason I don't turn on the news every day because it feels bad to see our government messing things up, you know, whatever mm. it is, just nobody wants to watch there, if you're telling me that what's great about this sport is that I have a local team and that I'm going to be able to see that team, well, there's a lot of weaknesses to that approach on the marketing side in that I'm not going to enjoy when they're bad. I'm not going to enjoy when they're playing teams that are bad. I'm not going to enjoy when they're playing teams that don't have these natural rivalries because when mm-hmm. you tell me that what's great about it is that they're playing the Dodgers, well, then, yeah, I might be willing to pay a couple hundred bucks for a ticket that I wouldn't have otherwise, but then it also means I'm not going to pay $5 to watch them play the Reds. And so... Right. What I've seen, especially on the esports side, definitely on the basketball side, they've done really well, is they market the players. They market the quality of the game so that whether you're a fan of the Warriors or of the Cavs or the Heat, whoever it is, if LeBron James is playing, if Kevin Durant is playing, you want to see it. When we talk about esports, if Faker is playing, he's from a Korean team somewhere that we happen to have gone, but that most people will never go. But when he's on a game, then we can watch it he's the best player ever. I want to see that. I want to see the highest level of play. And because these other games have marketed the highest level of play right. as what you should seek out as a fan, then that is what people, people, you know, people don't want to spend a lot of time thinking and analyzing. Very few people are like us where we want to get really, really deep in the weeds. Most people just want to be told, okay, what is the best product I can consume? Well, right now it's, uh, you know, these regional type things. Why isn't it Mike Trout? Why isn't, why, why as a, a baseball fan, am I just not being marketed Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, th- these players all the time when the Giants suck? There's no reason to show me, you know, some of these, you know, Jeff Smart yeah, for the, the 500th the time. Everything's <laughs> tied into these regional sports contracts. Yeah, the, it, the, the, the cable deals. It's like every team has their own, has a, uh, you know, a deal with the regional sports network. And that's how they fluff, you know, some teams own the thing, but yeah, they all have these RSN and they want to drive ratings that way. But I mean, as much as, as much as I'm an avid Tampa Bay fan, if there's a, if there's a DeGrom Kershaw matchup, bet your ass that's the game I'm watching that night. I don't care what's going on Tampa Bay. It's like, if I, if there's premium product out there to consume, I'm going to consume it. If it's DeGrom Kershaw, I'm going to watch that matchup, not maybe split screen, but I will have it on. I will have divided attention that particular night. Uh, and so but I agree. I don't think the sport does a great job of that saying, hey, by the way, this week, if everything works out right, we could have this on Thursday night. This could be a matchup. You should tune in. It may not be a national broadcast, but you should find a way to consume this. And by the way, if we're going to make this week, we're going to make that game free. That's our free game of the day. Go mm-hmm. consume that game. This yeah. is what's possible out there. Even if you're in Baltimore, you're stuck watching a 119 lost team. This is the kind of stuff that's out there, and your team maybe could be there again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a, I was just thinking about what kind of viewership are the Orioles getting? Like, how could you remain a fan of a team like that? You know, I'll tell you this. So this year, uh, I went to Baltimore this summer for a game. As I mentioned earlier, my son's birthday is in July. 
uh, and the Rays were playing. Uh, and so I went, I, I went to Baltimore for uh, two games. Um, we went to the Babe Ruth Museum. Uh, I think we did a, a Friday night. We flew up, so we did a Friday night and a Saturday game. Um, and I wore my Rays shirt in this, in this Expos hat, which got actually more comments from upset Rays fans. Like, oh, well, it's a joke. Um, so it is uh, – but the fans, they were into the game. I mean – at one point, the Rays were up 9-1, and somebody hit a two-run home run, and the place went nuts. And I was like, really? And then the, the giveaway on Saturday was like Hawaiian shirt day, and they had like 25,000 people there. Those Hawaiian shirts, a guy paid me $20 for my shirt and $20 for my kid's shirt. Right there, I was like, sweet, here's beer and food money today. Uh, but as soon as I got it, the guy turned around, he goes, I'll give you 20 bucks each for the shirts, but take it. Uh, but yeah, they had... People were there. People were enjoying themselves. And I'm like, man, this is a terrible team because I was at the Devil Ray games back in the day when it was me and 5,000 of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was plenty of elbow room. I got a picture of my taking my son to his first game at 05, and I think we had the section to ourselves. Uh, it was my wife, my son, uh, my parents, and me. Five of us, we had our own row to ourselves. But that's the way it used to be. But, I mean, this Baltimore. Oh, I don't think it's just how it used to be, They too. had fans. <laughs> We've, yeah, we've, I mean, we, we talked earlier about how many different stadiums we've gone to. I mean, the last couple of trips we've taken, we did the Florida parks. Um, we did the Midwest parks and man, there were some games, the Reds, I remember the, the, Reds. the Rays game we went to where I could be heard by everyone in the stadium if I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, you, could, from the you could heckle the batter from like the outfield bleachers. Like. Right. Right. And, and, to, <laughs> and I think that, I don't want to do too deep on this one, but that to me has got to be one of the most like strangely managed aspects of this is like the day of game experience at the ballpark. Mm -hmm. um, there's no reason that you should have a park that's 10% full. Like give those tickets away to every school. I, I mean, that's right. There's it's, it costs you nothing. It, it's you, they'll, they'll still buy food. You know, they'll still come in. They'll st there's still people you want to market to. And I mean, I, I work in tech and so we, we are always thinking about how do we get people to engage with our product? Because we know if they see value, they will be long-term customers, right? Baseball right. does a terrible job of this. If, just give the product away. You, you know you're not making most of your money from ticket sales anyways. So mm -hmm. you might as well just get people hooked on it, get people into the habit of, hey, here's another alternative to what you can do on a Friday night. And I just I have to call it out because you mentioned it, Jason. The giveaways, the giveaway strategy is terrible. It's like, how many times have you tried, have you go, tried to go to a game on a Saturday afternoon and it's a giveaway, a bobblehead day, uh, and, and there's 30,000 people who get there two and a half hours early and now you have to wait in this line. Yeah. Why not give those away on the Tuesday afternoon game where no one is coming in the first place? Like, there's no reason to do it on a Sunday where everyone's going to come anyways. And I, I just never understood this. The Giants do it every year. Yeah, every Dodger weekend, they give away the best giveaways. That's going to be sold out no matter what. What are you doing? Put it on the Padres or the... Well, I, think, I think I know the answer, and I think it's because the companies that sponsor those giveaways yeah, they, want they want to, to guarantee that 40,000 people are walking out with a PG&E bobblehead. Yeah. Yep. That'll, I mean, that, that's part of it too. Um, because they, I mean, they know their whole thing and plus other fans, other organizations now are starting to, they're actually jacking up the price of a ticket the day of the game. Like they want, they want to, they want to be able to forecast what they need to do. Yeah. Do they have to, do they have to open up the upper deck for this game? Do they have to have as much concession open? So they want to forecast. So I've seen this like same day ticket charge of like $2 being added on tickets. And a lot of times, it is an impulse buy. Hey, my schedule changed. Don't penalize me because all of a sudden I can go to a game now, but you're going to charge me two more dollars. And I even see it at the minor league level. I mean, here, as much as I like going to Charlotte Knights games, it's like the same ticket that I can buy for 10 bucks is 12 bucks day of game. And that's like, 
you know, that's a difference. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it shouldn't. It, it's a mental as, difference. As more me, than, for me, it's not going to deter me. I'm going to go to the game regardless because I want to go. But for maybe the casual fans, like, wait, I can go to the game for ten bucks. Screw it. I'll just go. I'll buy. I'll buy it in a few days. Well, these are bad taste in your mouth too, right? It's like if it you does. go to McDonald's and I tell and you you ring up a certain total, and then when I bring the food to you, I say you owe me another dollar. It's like right. what? <laughs> kind of breaches yeah. the trust that we had as a as a business to customer um, relationship. That's uh, just like the whole dynamic pricing thing. I, I can't stand that either. It's like, don't, you're basically telling me your product, the value of your product depends on who they're playing. Mm -hmm. It's like, if, if this seat, if this bleacher seat's 15 bucks, it's 15 bucks whether they're playing the Yankees or the Royals. Don't charge me 25 for the Yankees and $10 for the Royals. I'm here for, I'm here for you. I'm not here for them. I'm here for you. How do you feel product. about the subscription model? Cause we saw that in San Francisco, at least last year where there was a pass you could buy to yeah. kind of have unlimited access or at least some, some sort of more unrestricted access. I, I know you bought it, Matt. Uh, Jason, did you, have you had an uh, opportunity to see any of that? <laughs> I, the only place I, I saw it when I went to uh, opening day in Atlanta two years ago, they had a standing room only pass for $30 a month. And so you pay 30 bucks and, you, and they had ample standing room places. And I thought it was a nice deal. So it's like, okay, any home game you can come into standing room only when you're there, you're going to spend concession. It's like, it's an easy way to generate revenue. You're not giving up any of your seats. Uh, you don't need to forecast anything, but you know, people are going to consume things. And so uh, at 30 bucks, it's almost a no, it's like a music subscription. So some of these things we're we're more apt to buy something on a monthly subscription than we are an annual thing. Anyhow, season tickets, that's an investment. $30 a month, yeah, I can do that. And so it's a nice gateway drug into it. Once they're in, they're like, man, I love this, but I would love to have a seat. Okay, let's talk to you about options there. People so, like the yeah. buffet model, for sure. Exactly. It, it works for, for movies. Obviously, it's worked well for AMC and some of the, you know, the sort mm -hmm. of post uh, movie pass uh, options. Right. That's worked well. You you had a pass, Army. What, what was your, how did you like it? Yeah, I, I went to like 50 games last year with the standing room. Nice. Pass. And yeah, it's like, obviously, if I bought two tickets that would be $30 but instead like I went to like 15 a month and I buy a $10 hot dog and you reaped you know the cost of having me stand there and it looks yeah. like the stadium's more built out and it's like yeah what a deal like I I haven't actually heard them renewing it for this year but yeah it was like a, it doesn't make sense not to have it and I heard Minnesota was doing it um I think Tampa I think, Bay had done it. I think they were going to do it this year for the first time. Maybe they did it last year and I missed it. Um, you know, now that I don't live in the area, uh, but I think it's a great get them in the door. Once they're in the door, they will spend. I like nobody goes to a baseball game and doesn't spend anything. Yeah, I like that it has kind of the the ski snowboard pass element to it. Where if I go spend, I don't know what it's like uh, on your in your part of the country, but if we go to the if we go to Heavenly up in Tahoe, that's our local mountain, uh, and I want a one day ticket, that's one hundred twenty dollars. To, to get up there on a snowboard right. and go down for you know six or seven hours. And so when I go, you know, much, much more rarely now because it's so expensive, uh, I'm trying, I'm getting there right when it opens and I'm going all through the day. I might not have lunch because I want to get every dollar's worth, right? But yep. since they've started to make the passes more of a thing and more option, you know, it's been a number of years they've had it now, that it, it just changes the experience so that if I have a season pass and I go up, I could go and do a three hour day. Mm -hmm. go eat some food and head head back to the hotel and 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 actually i enjoy that more because by the time i'm running six seven eight hours i'm running ragged right and so i think the same could be true for baseball is that you start to see fans who uh they want to go to a lot of games they don't want to sit there for four straight hours they don't want to stay until 10 11 p.m on a on a work night right, right. so then maybe they want to go get a hot dog sit around for a couple of innings with their buddy and then head out and that's actually now you're opening up 
uh, a new revenue stream to people who really that's their their only interest in, in in attending a game. So, well, I'm here for the starting pitcher, and once that guy gets pulled, I'm out. I mean, you know, maybe that's what my interest was today. I don't need to stay for the whole game, but like if if I'm a Baltimore fan, John Means is pitching today. Let's see what John Means is doing. All right, the bullpen's coming in. I'm out. Bye. Yeah, let's give. I let's know give, how this game's going to end. <laughs> let's give the fans more options. We've gone for over an hour, so I want to be respectful of everyone's time. <laughs> give everyone one last suggestion or change, magic wand change for how you would make baseball better. And it can be something tiny. It could be something huge. Uh, I'll go last. So, Jason, you're the guest. Why don't you? Why don't you take the first one? Uh, honestly, for me, it's it's umpire public public accountability for umpires. It really drives me insane how. Yeah, my, my joke on Twitter was fire Angel Hernandez immediately. Um, and I said, because he's horrendous, but he's able to keep his job. It's like the rest of us in our professional careers, we have annual performance plans. And like if we fall below, we get coached out of the business. Well, Angel Hernandez is demonstrably a terrible umpire, but he has been in the sport forever. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense. I would like to be able to see some kind of public accountability and if like if you are fall below on your called strike percentage based on it can't be just pure black or white but your called strike percentage has got to be something that's dynamic based on the batter and not just something that hey it's that this is my problem with rubble umps we've got to get a little uh, I don't know if it's adjusting to the batter and stance uh, if you will but we've got to have some score and if your if your called strike percentage is below an acceptable threshold which to me I would consider you got to be over ninety percent, and there are man- there are umpires that are below that. And there's a couple of tools, not public, but private. Like the ESPN uses something called True Media. I have access to it. I can see that, and I can see like strike zone percentage call. And some of these guys are in the in the eighties, and that to me is like wow. One of every five pitches, you're not getting correct. Mm. That's crazy. Over the course of a game, that many and you see some of these zones. It's like Joe West. You know what Joe West is out oh. there. You're like, who knows what it's going to be today? Uh, you know, different umpires. And the, pit, and the pitchers talk about this, like, who's got the plate today? Oh, that guy's yeah. got the plate today? All right, this is going to be the way we're going to work it because, you know, Laz Diaz it loves calling the ball. If, you, if, you're a, if you are a, a lefty batter and a righty's pitching, you better protect that outside corner because he's calling two baseballs off that plate. And he, he does it, and he's got a historical thing about that. Uh, but that's the way he does things. So it's, I would like to see some public accountability where, you know, we talk about stats on screen. Today, we've got C.D. Bucknor behind the plate. Called strike percentage, 84%. And that way you're like, oh, God, this is going to be a long game. You know, this guy's not going to get it uh, consistent. Or yeah, hey, this, guy, this guy's got one of the five best called strike rates in baseball. This guy's awesome. John Baker, fantastic. Uh, or Jordan Baker, uh, umpire. It's the one guy that I met. I met him at Foley's one night when I walked in. He was running the replay booth after hours. Uh, I, I met him at the bar. But uh, it's like the t- top five called strikeout. All right, great. We've got one of the really good guys behind the plate. Um, but umpires should be anonymous, but if we know their names, so let's know the performance. Let's see that. And I think that would kind of help bring some more credibility to them because they, everybody thinks they all suck. All these guys suck. Um, but some of them are excellent at their job and we should celebrate that. Well, that's always the challenge, right? It's like they suck because they made a call against my team. <laughs> right? <laughs> that day, right? uh, now, but why not? Why no robo-umps? Because I think the way it's presented is like, well, the robo-umps aren't going to be perfect. They're not going to understand the nuances of certain strike zones or not, yeah. may not be able to adjust as easily. But then when you tell me that the umps we have now are only succeeding in some cases at an 80% clip, well, I, I assume the robo-umps don't have that big a gap where they're actually make, missing one in every five calls. So is that closer to a more accurate zone? Yeah, I, I just want to make perfect. sure 
I want to make sure that it's giving the same strike zone to like it's, it's relative to the batter. So if Aaron Judge is up there, it's taller, and then if if Jose Altuve is up there, it's reduced. So it's it's being dynamic. I'm more concerned about the the width of it because if we start, I mean, we could see it depends. Like if if a pitcher like say Rich Hill could spin his awesome curveball and just clip the the electronic corner of the out part of the strike zone that gets called a strike because a, a two seams of it crossed that part of it and like guys with excellent uh, Kyle Hendricks if he could have that could paint the corners and and maybe challenge Bob Gibson's 112 ERA record I mean it depends on how that I want to see how it works side to side I'm not so concerned about the up and down but I want to see how that particular thing how that piece of it works I know they tried it out in the Arizona Fall League or the Rookie League here in the past couple of years and even this year when I was out in the AFL for a couple of games we saw some of it come into play during the games we watched and I think it's like three or four pitches we're all like that was a strike okay uh, but a handful three or four pitches over the course of the game uh, and there was an umpire behind the plate but sometimes they would he would call a strike and he would just kind of point to something and say hey it was a called strike you know it's like mm-hmm. I didn't think it was what they said it was uh, type of thing so I, I, I'm not against it but it's you know I, I think a good way to start is to show how good they kind of grease the skids in we need to go to robo arms because look how bad some of these guys are. Some of these guys are really good, but some of these guys really suck. And if we if we bring this in, and if we say if we say, hey, robo arms get the call right ninety six percent of the time, the average fan maybe think, well, so does the umpire. But then if we look at the average umpire and the average umpire is a ninety percent, then we're improving the game, putting a better product in the field. Yeah, I wonder if people would notice. So you kind of talked about the example of how you would test that, right? Is like, you still have the umpire there. You just tell them the call and they make the call. Uh, they sort of just translate it. They're the middleman. It's, it seems like you said that you, you saw maybe three or four a game that you would, you think notice. But then again, I wonder how many you notice when it's just the umpire that you right. also think, hey, that was, you know, I might see three or four or 10 that are bad calls when it's just the guy there. Um, I wonder if it'd be noticeable. It'd be interesting to see. Maybe. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't find it too disruptive to, as we were watching the game, but if you think of what if, what if we're like at a two strike, maybe there's runners in scoring position, two outs, two strikes, and a pitch comes and the umpire is like, in my head, that's ball three, but then he's getting buzzed in his hip saying that's strike three. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, strike. And everybody's like, what, what's going on? And that, you know, that's where it came down to, but uh, who knows? It's, it's going to happen. And it's a matter of, it's not if it's when it will happen at some point. Um, and anything we can do to improve the quality of the game and reduce the the human element, uh, I'm all for. Yeah. What's your the human element's the player. Let the players determine it, not not the arbiters who you know they've gotten away with enough. <laughs> I can't <laughs> the, these ma- oh you're out you're ejected or this. I mean the instant replay everybody fought it and I I think there's room for instant replay improvement too. Stop wasting 20 to 30 seconds with yeah. your hand up to say oh I'm going to review this play. No gut feeling. Throw a flag. Throw something out there. If you're wrong, you're wrong. But right. don't get this whole sneak preview. But like, oh, yeah, he was definitely off the bag. I'm going to go ahead and challenge this one. Right, right. Uh, my, my, uh, I had two ideas, but it was around the instant replay. I feel like in the regular season, you should get 90 seconds to look at it. And then whatever your thought is, you go with it. You don't get 25 replays of like a meaningless, like, was he out or safe at first? Like, in the playoffs, yeah, sure, take 20 minutes to review plays or whatever. But, like, it's it doesn't make sense that you're going to be able to see so many angles that it doesn't really – you don't really get the correct answer. So it's, like, just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but ab- about the game, I feel like there should be expansion again. Hmm. I think uh, there's Charlotte. Definitely, definitely, like, 
areas of the country that could support a baseball team. And one, one of them that I, I, I don't think that Atlanta Braves should have like six states as their region. And so like some, someone has to claim that area. It's a, it's a good baseball area, like somewhere like in Nashville or somewhere in that area. Right. College baseball is great there. It yeah. is. Why not tap into that market? I mean, you've got Charlotte, you've got Nashville, you've got Vegas. You've got, you could go back to Montreal if you want to go to Montreal. Um, you know, you've, those seem like natural places to, to add something. Like you said, the South is, is vacant of baseball teams. Uh, you go, you go from, you, you go from Atlanta to Houston to Dallas. That's your big gap there. And then you've got Miami and, and uh, Tampa Bay. Then you go to Atlanta. Then you have to go to the nationals. I mean, you've got Virginia and the Carolinas without a baseball team, Southern Virginia, Northern Virginia should be a different state. Uh, but you know, that's where, that's where you could see, uh, room for improvement. I think that if they expand again, you can do, uh, you know, maybe two more. I don't know. There's been talk about four, but maybe two more. Uh, and then you've got, get a nice balance. You don't have to have this interleague play has to exist right now because we have 15 teams in each league. That's really why it has to exist at a 16th, get rid of interleague play top. We're done. Hmm. All right. I, uh, I like to go radical on my changes. So I'm going to take a, uh, take one out of the esports book. And one of the things I have enjoyed the most about following professional gaming is that the meta changes, and, or in other words, the rules change on a very consistent basis. Not dramatically, mm -hmm. but within a margin of a, of a couple percent. Um, in, 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 in the gaming sense, it's more like the, the stats, the abilities of the players or the, right. or the map. Um, I would love to see something like along those lines in baseball. Because, and, and so I, I think the, certainly there's some balancing to do and right sizing, but what would it be like if you just changed the count or if you just changed the number of foul balls allowed, or if you just changed <laughs> the number of hitters allowed, or if you just changed yeah. the number of defensive players allowed and you just started yeah. to do these things, the whole league does it every month or every couple months. Yeah, and well, they just play we, under these different rules for, I know well, this hey, will never we happen. We do it this in September. Never. We do it in September. Sure. Yeah. And this year they actually went backwards. I mean, this year, uh, it, it, I would say they're going to throw away this rule, but in a regular, in a full regular, they're talking about downsizing September expansion to 28 players. Now, the other part of this could be you on a weekly basis, you get to choose who the 28 are, yeah. not a daily basis. Cause you would just, you know, take off your other starting pitchers and throw these guys in, but on a week basis, these are my 28 or, or a series basis. These are my 28 guys. And that way you can call some of these guys up. So they get the experience of sitting in a major league dugout and being in a clubhouse and getting that, process uh underway but that you know that puts some strength because i hated that i mean you play the season for five months and then you get in september and you've got 40 man rosters and these gigantic bullpens you change the way the game is played dramatically mm -hmm. because now you can say i'm just gonna johnny bullpen uh this I game and, and go through this go today, yeah. So, yeah and a ton of pinch hitters and different things like that i mean you want to make uh you know the the last game of the 2011 season was fun the way all these games just overlap to one another in, in moments it's the of worst moments. day of my baseball fan life <laughs> <laughs> but i mean a lot of that was able to happen because these deep rosters it's like yeah. that game never happens on august 31st but it could happen on september 29th yeah. Yeah. I would love to see the, I think the, the, the element of it that I, I really love about that is it, it really adds a lot of value to the teams, to the managers who are innovative and can make adjustments on the fly and can sort of, you, you sort of get to undersee the problem solving exposed. And so mm -hmm. if you said, Hey, for the month of June, 
you get two pitching changes. That's it. Or um, we're going to use, <laughs> no, you can't change the size of the ball, but uh, you know, we're going to run around the bases uh, third to the first. I don't know, but there's, there's, <laughs> there's little elements like that, that I think and probably not the running backwards one. I've done that in softball and it's not very fun. But there are elements. We're going to move the fences in 10, 10 feet in every stadium for the month of uh, July. You know, it's just things like that, just to see what would happen and see how teams would adjust. We've obviously, you talked about how they adjust with different size rosters. Now, if you start changing the elements, if you start changing the equipment, for instance, and you say, all right, now for a month, we're going to allow metal bats. I don't know. I'm going way, way extreme. But you're, I, you're, I going like all, the, you're going all Charlie Finley now. <laughs> if, you, if you go read back on Charlie Finley's days with the Kansas City Athletics, the Orange Baseball yeah. was part of that. He, uh, with the old Kansas City Park, when the Yankees would come in, that he created this because he always said Yankee Stadium was an unfair advantage. So he created his park. He, he built this temporary fence that was 296 feet, and he called it Pennant Corner or something like that. <laughs> and then within a week, the commissioner made him take it down. He put sheep back there. Like, when the Yankees would come in, he would do that. Bill Veck, when he owned the White Sox or the Indians, used to change the, the depth yeah. of the fences based on who was coming in. If the Yankees were coming in, moved them way back. If somebody else, he would move them way in. Or the old rumors of how the Twins would – uh, play with the air conditioning in the Metrodome when their hitters were up versus not up, those kind of – that's fun. I mean, to me, it's, uh, if you want to have – if the Yankees can have a 310-foot right field, I know it says 314, there's no way. Uh, but if they want to have that short pennant, other people should be able to do something as well. Uh, because uh, that's, one thing, that's one of the things I do like about baseball is that all 30 parks are unique in their own ways. It's not like – it's not the same structure. That's what differentiates it from other sports. All basketball courts are 94 by 50 and, and – uh, football uh, are, I think, 54 yards across um, by, you know, 120 mm-hmm. yards long with the end zones and all that. But every baseball stadium is different. And that's why I like going to all of them. Yeah. I'm kind of uh, – I'm baffled that the, the Rockies never could figure out uh, an advantage in, in their favor because, like, you're, you have, like, a, a home field advantage, like, better than anyone else. And they were always a bottom-dwelling team. Like, you would think you'd be able to – roster shape your team better than the 29 other teams trying to face you because they're they're just optimizing for regular baseball whereas yeah. your team for half the year has a different type of baseball it's, isn't it really a home field disadvantage though because i think the number one was because the pitchers were getting overused yeah and, the biggest factor is the the extra fatigue on pitchers and if you yeah. have to have that 81 games then you just extra fatigue win. loss of the breaking ball i mean yeah. once once they tried i mean mike hampton should have been the guy that should have worked you know, the sinker ball, that should have been – and Mike once Mike Hampton couldn't pitch there, that was like game over. Um, and the other part is like you can't attract free agent pitchers there. So you've got to either – you've got to draft. You've got to draft and develop. And so most of their pitchers historically have been younger guys. Younger guys struggle with command. And, and Coors Field punishes guys like that. And it's just a perpetual story. And they're never going to be able to pay a free agent enough to go there and pitch unless it's somebody at the end of their career who's like, this is my last contract. I'm going to get paid, whatever. So I'm uh, trying to get a hitter in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that too. But you guys are really good at getting old guys. Uh, <laughs> well, the old guys, yeah. But you're not getting any – any. no Bryce Harpers are coming here looking yeah, it was to like build their Aubrey legacy. Yeah, Huff was like begrudgingly taking a, a way overpaid contract. <laughs> with the it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you should, you're, you're not a good player. Like – and he was turning down Giants. It's like, but I felt like the Rockies could have, could have beat that out. Just like offer long-term contracts. Like this is your contract for the rest of your. You're at 28. Here's a 13-year deal. Like, yeah, could have gotten good players. It's just like, 
You try to out hit them and try to win games 10 to eight, but maybe not. How about my bonus proposal? No long-term contracts. So maybe you cap contracts at two or three years. And so you just have these wild free agent periods on a regular basis. Where I, I squeeze it from the bottom. I, I would say everybody's six years. You know, this whole service time manipulation, that has to end. Oh, yeah. Just, that's terrible. You make it in, that's year one. And, and just go uh, and, and get these guys, you know, do that. But, I mean, free agent, the free agent market itself has really kind of regulated itself. If you're amazing, you're getting paid the way you should. But we're not seeing these overinflated deals on these guys just because they're the best of that year. I mean, Trout got the money he deserved. Harper got the money he deserved. But it's not like – the Aubrey Huff example. Aubrey Huff, nobody's getting 460 just because they're the best guy of that class this year. They're like, you know what, I'm not, this is what I'll pay. If not, then I'll wait for next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that market has really regulated itself because free agent deals are, I mean, look at the Albert Pujols deal, Chris Davis deal. I mean, the Chris yeah. Davis deal was probably the last sweetheart deal of, yeah, we, we have to have this guy. We have, And they're paying him $93 million for three more years. And he is an absolute shell of his former self. The Miggy deal is, has to be on that list too. Oh, that one too. Yes. Where they jumped the gun and they said, you got three years, four years left on your contract. We'll give you an extension anyways. When you're at the peak of your market value. I just never Chris understood Sale, that stuff. Chris Sale still hasn't seen a dime of his extension. And he's going to, and it starts, and it starts uh, this year. And he's not going to pitch for two years. Yeah. Well, this one may not matter anyways, because there's a shorter <laughs> season that, yeah, that was the one saving grace as a Red Sox fan on the bets thing is like, while we traded the last year of Mookie Betts, turns out that's not a full year of baseball. So Right. <laughs> he may never play for the Dodgers. Wow, that would be something. Yeah, what do you uh, – I mean, we're going <laughs> – I'm going even off of – it sounds like you think the baseball season is coming back, but I don't – I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, my, my, my feeling right now, if you ask me today, they use July 4th to play the All-Star game to kick it off. And that's me – that's my optimistic feeling. Uh, but I, I'm still like – 60 40 we even have a season this year it's i think one of the the stranger things is that you know the higher ups the the planning that they've proposed is preposterous like the idea of like sequestering all the players and umpires and the scouts and and playing in uh chase field it's like what kind of like utopia do you live where like people don't love their families and don't want to like terrible terrible idea for five months like here, slave, play baseball for me. It's like, that's, you know, they're people. Like, obviously, like, they're being paid a lot of money, and, you know, this is probably their only occupation. You can push them a little harder, which, of course, as we, I mean, this whole conversation we've gone through, it seems like most of the things that we complain about are things that have been put put into place to squeeze more out of the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's, it's not, uh, like, they're being paid at the rate you know, someone who has to work 160 days in a row and be the best in their field. Like, that's what they get paid. They get paid millions to do this. And, like, you don't feel bad because they're being compensated. But, like, telling them for five months they have to live in a hotel room and not talk to anyone is uh, it's kind of a silly even, like, to let the public think that the best, the smartest people in your organization think that that idea is in- <laughs> that's the best idea you can come up with <laughs> we're gonna let you go stay at your hotel and have zero exposure to fans or anybody or your family just you guys then we're gonna take you to the ballpark then we're gonna bring you back to the hotel and that's gonna be your life for four and a half good months. luck with I mean, that. that good luck yeah. with that that may work uh, i mean that doesn't work in like anywhere you couldn't even do it with one person <laughs> right they had uh what josh hamilton had someone following him around all the time for years 
yes. and, and still got into trouble, unfortunately. But yeah, it's not realistic to have these sort of like, oh, we're just going to, it's what was uh, who you're talking about? Having, they're, they're trying to have MMA fights on uh, private islands now. Uh, yeah, uh, Dana White was going to have uh, whatever blood sport out in the you know, <laughs> waters. Wow. Like, you're kind of, uh, <laughs> you shouldn't let people know that you're thinking about those ideas. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Well, and it, it's like that's how I feel like obviously like we're starving for entertainment and but like this is a pandemic people are dying like just take the year off like I know like you want to make your money in your prime and like we need stuff to watch but like you're just risking people you, you know the flattening the curve is like something we have to do it's not like a subjective like, it, it also doesn't seem like it is a it is an accurate inaccurate representation of what is possible because I, I really don't think people will go back right away. Even if you said, hey, the coast is clear, are you going to rush out to a, a packed stadium full of people? I don't think so. I think nope. very, <laughs> some people will. Some people will go, but it won't be a lot. And it's, it's, we've been to baseball. We've all been to baseball games where no one shows up. Yeah. And that's not a great experience for anybody, really. Hmm. And, I mean, uh, the, the day that the curve's flattening now because we're doing what we're doing. And my, my fear is that, you know, with the – uh, good old American bravado is like as soon as things get better, okay, back to normal, and then as right. soon as we go back to normal, then it goes right back up. So it's like you got to let it ride its course out a little bit. And if it if it means that we've lost that we lose baseball as much as I love baseball, worth it. Um, at, at then you're going to get into the challenge. But what about football? Can't touch football. Rah, 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 rah. But uh, I mean, it, seriously, it could have major impacts because you look at the way just the, the the way that the it's structured at the collegiate level. You lose college football, you lose college, you're going to lose a lot of college sports. And so that's why you're starting to see the Mike Gundys and things like that looking at them because college football pays the bills for a lot of what's out there in college. And it could get, that's where I think you're going to see a lot of pressure to, if, if we lose baseball, then all the attention is going to be, we got to say football hmm. because uh, the, if, they, if they're talking about it from the, the, the overall collegiate athlete, not just football, great, but if it's just the focus on football because it's football, um, but it's, you know, there's some larger structure down there, but we can't, the worst thing we can do is, as a uh, country is rush back into things because some of the data is starting to look better in some places right now. Yeah. Especially the ones that are, that have been the cause of the widespread spread is the big mm -hmm. gatherings is when people go and get into places with uh, hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of people. So. Right. And it, it's also like, it's uh, with this virus, it's not something that you label yourself out to the public and you start playing football and you're, you're not showing symptoms like right. well, you just infected 53 people on your team and then the other team. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to have the same thing that happened with the NBA. It's like you immediately have to shut down because you don't know who got infected. Yep. So one, one person can affect 435 people. It's like the, if you read the story in the New York times that came out today, it looked at all the, uh, what was it? The, Red Dawn Club, all the doctors talking about things. Like one story they came through, somebody had gone through, had was showing no symptoms and infected, like her five people in her family got infected even though she didn't know she was. It's like, if that can happen, you know, last thing we could do is say, okay, let's start playing baseball June 1st. And as soon as somebody in the clubhouse has it, that'd be, what are you going to do? That whole team can't play anymore? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a tough one. Well, let's leave it there. This has been really, really fun, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Um, always love just kind of figuring out different ways to improve some of the things that, that we've already loved for so long in our lives. So 
if, if anything, this downtime gives us plenty of time to talk about possibilities. That's, that's, right. that's right. That's been one of the upsides about it is it's actually encouraging conversation around, okay, let's look, let's look forward when this stuff does come back, what can we do about it? Yeah, it's uh, an rather than arguing over, uh, um, you know, this or that. It's been a nice distraction from all the other crap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll leave it there. Cool. Thanks very much. Hey guys. Thanks. I enjoyed it. All right, man. Stay safe. All right. See you guys.